0: Thank you that you are our solid rock, the firm foundation on which we can build our lives. Lord, we're, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace today. We celebrate you. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention towards your word and as we look into this, this topic, there's no I and team. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a family had just moved into their neighborhood, and their nine-year-old son comes bursting into the kitchen, and he says, Mom, Mom, I met some new friends. He said, I met a boy, and I met a girl, and, and his mom was really excited, and he said, well, how old are they? And he said, well, I I didn't ask. It would be kind of rude to ask. His mom was a little puzzled by that, but she just kind of let it go, and after about an hour, she, she sees, she's standing at the door and she sees him riding his bike by on the street and he says, Hey mom, I found out how old they are. The boy is 65 and the girl is 68. You know, we're in a series called The Art of Neighboring. It's based on a book by that name and some sermons that have been preached in other churches about this art of neighboring. In fact, God has been using it in amazing ways. And the foundation for this series uh, comes from Mark chapter 12 uh, when someone asked Jesus uh, to, to really sum up the enti- this entire book. Uh, he said, Jesus, out of all of the laws, out of all of the commands, which is the greatest? And Jesus said, well, I can't sum it up in just one. Um, I'm actually going to sum it up in two. And those are to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Your heart, mind, soul, and strength with all of that and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus' response was. And that's what we're looking at. In fact, Jesus said that so many times that it became known as what? The greatest commandment. The great commandment. However, the trend in our country is not moving us towards closer neighborhood relationships, but actually the trend in our country is moving us towards isolation as individuals. Um, Thanks to internet-based social networking sites and text messaging, people today are more connected than they have ever been in, in the history of their planet. But according to Massachusetts Institute of Technology, social psychologist Sherry Turkle, she says this, and I quote, People who choose to devote large portions of their time to connecting online are more isolated than ever in their non-virtual lives, leading to emotional disconnection, mental fatigue, and anxiety, unquote. You know, Apple just unveiled its new smartphone, the Apple iPhone 6. And of course, some people that I know actually watched the unveiling. How boring could that be? But anyway, um, they did. Um, NBC News recently reported that 88% of those between the ages of 18 and 24 say they view their mobile phones as being more important than the internet, deodorant, and their toothbrush. Now you will know if you're sitting next to someone in that 88%, won't you? Uh, Something else. I I want us to watch this short little news clip here that is just from this last March. In
1: up the grass and get long, and that's just it. We didn't see any signs of anything going wrong there.
0: Today, investigators
1: with the Oakland County Sheriff and firefighters went into the home of 49 year old Pia Ferenkoff. We're told the place was full of so much black mold that they had to wear hazmat suits to go in and see if they could find clues as to what happened to Pia. Investigators believe she had been dead for about six years. Her body found yesterday in the garage of her Pontiac home. She was in the back seat. her vehicle because i always ask my mom about it like oh what happened to pia and she just said i think she moved and i think i think every every now and then my stepdad was you know Do the yard. Some neighbors thought Pia had a son and they say she kept to herself and it wasn't unusual for her to be gone for extended periods of time. And after a while, many thought she had just moved. She used to have a dog and she used to walk it. She was kind of private. She would just come in and kind of go home. Action News has learned that years ago, Pia Ferenkoff had a bank account with $54,000 in it. And everything from her mortgage to utility bills were paid from that account through automatic deductions. So that might explain why her mortgage company didn't foreclose on it sooner. But then the account ran empty, and investigators say a contractor hired by the bank that owns the home is the one who found her Wednesday, her badly decomposed body in the back seat of her vehicle, with no obvious signs of trauma. The keys were still in the ignition. Says she had a son. And why he ever checked on his mom, I don't know. It's pretty sad to see that somebody didn't have a loved one or something uh, to check on in all that time, you know.
0: Six years. That community needs at around six thirty be- in the evening. That community needs some serious instruction in good neighboring, don't they? You know, could you I, I, every time I watch that, I just it just dumbfounds me. The neighbor was doing her yard for six years and and didn't talk to her or check on her or uh, and i wonder what what would happen if what would happen if you or i just vanished would anybody be concerned would anybody notice what what if your neighbor what if one of your neighbors just it, they just Maybe they did just move away, or maybe they didn't. Would, would you recognize it? Would, would I recognize it? Would we have established enough of a relationship with them to, to be a good neighbor and to, to help them in some way, shape, or form? I mean, maybe she couldn't have been helped. Maybe it was a heart attack or something. But six years before somebody figured that out? Um, this is, so here's what we're trying to do in this series. We're, we're trying to make strangers into acquaintances. And we talked about that last week. And if you missed last week's message, please go online and listen to it or let us know that you need a copy of it on a DVD um, and catch up with that. And uh, so what I challenged us to do last week was to walk across the street and meet our neighbors. If, if, you, don't, if you couldn't on that chart that we had last week, uh, it was a chart with a house in the middle and eight houses around it, name the, 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 the adults in the homes that live, the eight, that live in the eight closest homes to you Um, the challenge was to go actually meet them. And that could be awkward for some of us, like myself, who's been in the neighborhood for 17 years. Um, But I've been working myself up to those conversations. Now, I think some of you um, who, who, met a neighbor, who, who met a neighbor this week? Raise your hand. Raise, raise it up high. Who met a neighbor this week for the first time? Awesome. That's great. Now, I'm guessing that maybe 50% of the others who didn't raise their hands, either maybe you weren't here last week and you know nothing about this, so you're off the hook. Maybe you just forgot. You know, and, and in the frenetic pace that we live in our lives, you know, you got to last night and you went, oh, no, you, you, you found your Bible to bring to church this morning and you opened it up and there was that chart. and You went, oh, no. I had all week and I, I, didn't, I didn't meet anyone. You know? um, or maybe, maybe you're one of those people who just, you're going to do it, you've been praying about it, and you're just trying to work up the courage. And, and, and I want you to know that, and I mentioned this last week, this series is not about shame, it's not about guilt, it's about action. It's like, here is a problem. I don't know all of my neighbors. What am I going to do about it? And how can I get to know them? And how can I be a better neighbor? And we're going to continue to go through that in the course of the series. So, uh, we all face challenges in our lives when it comes to being a good neighbor. And I want to talk about three of those challenges here this morning. Challenge number one is the time factor. It's the time factor. Uh, If you're in that category of, you know, your week just flew by and you got to Saturday night and went, oh man, I I didn't meet any of my neighbors. It's because your schedule is so packed and so tight that, that you just didn't take the time to do that. Many of us suffer from what John Ortberg calls hurry sickness. Uh, Hurry sickness. Uh, Here's a poster, and I don't know if you've seen this before. I saw it for the first time this week. There's a lion, there's a gazelle back there, and this is what it says. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion, or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up and knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. You know, we feel like that in life sometimes, don't we? It's like, it's, it's, it's run fast or get eaten alive. You wake up in the morning and it's off to work. You're there all day long. The boss says, hey, I'd like you to stay after for a couple hours and finish this project. And so you do because you're afraid if you don't, you might not have a job tomorrow. And then when you get home from the end of that, you, you've got children to care for and, and maybe a spouse or friends or, or maybe you live with friends or family or whatever and, and they need extra time from you. And, and, and it's exhausting. And you feel like, maybe, I, I think I feel more like the gazelle. I don't feel like the hunter. I feel like the hunted, right? And, and, and I'm just, just trying to... To survive. Oh, and, and by the way, I have a few hobbies that I really like to engage in too. You know, uh, maybe you know, you're a volunteer fireman or, or maybe you have a lot of to do with activities at school or you like to hike or you like to fish or whatever. You've got to fit those things in there as well. So we live at this crazy pace because we believe some lies. And and I want to talk about those three lies right now. There's three lies that we believe in regards to the time factor. The first one is this. Things will settle down someday. Things will settle down someday. I mean, how often do we say or think this? When this project is done, then... Or, you know, when Wednesday comes, after Wednesday, then... You know, I'll do this or that. or, Or when summer comes, then... Or when I retire, then... I mean, I've talked to retired people and they're like, I am more busy now than I ever was when I was working, right? The only time that this thinking that we're going to settle down, that that life's going to settle down someday works is when I die then, right? It's going to be pretty quiet when that happens. But until then, things will not settle down. Things will not settle down. Lie number two is this. More will be enough. Sometimes we are so driven that we actually believe contentment is right around the corner. Um, right after I buy that new thing. Right, right after I get this car. Then, then I'll be content. Well, I, I just want to get this house. Or I want it to be this size and then I'll be content in life. Or, or get that degree. Then I'll be content. Or get married. Or, or get that second house. Then I'll be content. And before long, we're running the rat race as fast and as hard as we ever have before. Lie number three, everyone lives like this. That's a lie. Not everyone lives that way. Not everyone is in a hurry. Not everyone is over-scheduled, over-committed, or over-indulging. There are actually some very healthy, balanced people out there. In fact, there are very healthy, balanced people who, who, who are in this room here today. So those are the three lies. Now let me give you three practices to overcome those lies. Okay? Number one is this. I can learn to be content. I can learn to be content. USC professor and spiritual mentor Dallas Willard said this. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You see, most of us, we get the yes word pretty easily, right? We say yes to a lot of things. We don't say no too often or we we haven't really learned how to say no and it's important that we do. There's another word that we need to learn to say and that's the word enough. I have enough money. I have enough houses. I have enough car. I have enough home improvements. I have enough nights gone. We can learn to be content. Number two, I can learn, or I can develop margin in my life. I can develop margin in my life so that I do have some extra time and some extra space. And that is, I think the only way that we can develop that is by scheduling it. I mean, for the most part, a lot of us in this room, we operate with a schedule. We have it on our phone or whatever, and somebody comes up to us and says, hey, can I meet with you, uh, you know, and you, what do you do? You, or, or if you have a business, you know, you, you fix cars or something, you look at the schedule and you say, do, do I have time for this, right? We have to get into the habit of scheduling downtime. We put it in our calendar and it's done, it's gone. Somebody says, hey, can I meet with you Thursday evening? And you look at your calendar, and if you haven't scheduled that free time, you're like, oh, sure, it's free. And before long, your whole schedule to the end of the week is full, and you have room for nothing extra. For those phone calls you get from family members that say, hey, we're having a birthday party for so-and-so tomorrow night, which is how our family kind of operates. Um, If you don't have that flex time in your schedule... Uh, there are things that come along, interactions with neighbors and that sort of thing that we are unable to do. So we need to develop margin in our life. And if we develop the margin in our life, then this third one will come more naturally and it's this. I can learn to be interruptible. I can learn to be interruptible. Uh, I think the person that that, uh, exemplifies this the most is Jesus Christ himself. There was no one who, who had, a greater, had greater responsibility, had uh, more to do, more to accomplish, more demands on his time than Jesus did. Yet he was very busy, yet he never hurried. You know, he lived in, with a deep underlying contentment. And, 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 you know, busyness is a condition of the schedule. Hurriedness is a condition of the soul. We can have times of busyness in our schedule and be in the midst of that busyness and still have a contentment in our soul. But there are many of us who live in that constant busyness and there is no contentment in our soul. It is raging and running as fast as our schedule. You know, Jesus lived His life so that being interrupted wasn't such a big deal. In fact, I wonder if He didn't live it so that, so that it was on purpose. Interruptions were, were teaching times. Um, like the day Jesus was walking along and a blind man began to yell out at him. That, this is found in Mark chapter 10, verses 46-52. through 52. And, and this blind man is trying to get his, his, his attention and he's been blind for a long time and, and everybody that's traveling with Jesus is like, you know what? Just ignore him. We don't have, we've got places to go, people to see, things to do. Ignore him. And Jesus doesn't. He stops what they're doing and he goes over and he speaks with the blind man and what does he do? He heals him. He heals the blind man. there is the instance where the uh, the community leader, the church leader's daughter was dying. This is found in Luke chapter 8, 40 through 56, if you're taking notes. And her father comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, please, if you if you come right away and and, and you come see my daughter, I think you can save her. And so Jesus is like, okay, and they 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 stand up and they get up and they start heading towards Uh, this guy's daughter who is sick and dying and and along the way they run into a woman who has been sick for 12 years and what does jesus do no i don't have time right now i'll come back to you later he stops and he deals with the woman who's been sick for 12 years and can you imagine what as a father what you would be thinking it's like Jesus we are we are on an ambulance call here it is 911 we've got to get to my daughter and here you are dealing with a woman who's been sick for 12 years she can she can wait another day it would be like an ambulance heading to the hospital with somebody who's in cardiac arrest Stopping at a stoplight and and one of the guys getting out with a a child on the side who skinned his knee riding his bicycle and they get out, you know, their bandages and stuff and and bandage this child on the side of the road. That's that's the situation right here. But Jesus is not hurried and Jesus heals the woman. And then of course we know from the story if we know it, the girl the, the, the girl dies and Jesus raises her from the dead. But Jesus takes time. He, has, he, he doesn't live his life in a hurried pace. Two weeks ago, I shared with the children up here uh, when, when parents brought the children to Jesus to, to bless them and to pray for them. And the, all of the adults around were like, oh, he doesn't. Have, we're too busy. Get those children out of here. And what did Jesus do? He's like, no, wait a minute. Let the children come to me. And they did. And, and you can only imagine right, what, uh, what that was like you know, those children don't probably really know who Jesus is, anything about Him. And, and you know, they're just, they're just loving this older guy that's, that's you know, uh, giving them some love and, and they're jumping on Him and maybe they're pulling His beard if He had a beard. And, but what does Jesus do? He just spends time with them and He blesses them and then He sends them off and then He continues throughout the course of His day. You know, uh, this time of year at North Hills, there's usually lots of information out about uh, a thing we have done the last few years every year called Project One. And this year you haven't seen any of that information. And, and there's reason for that. You know, it's, Project One is a time when we, as a church, outreach to the community on one day. And, and there is tons of planning and time and energy that goes in to that one day. This year, um, in as an example of what to do in our lives instead of saying you know what we're going to do this series called the art of neighboring and we're going to ask some things of you and we're going to ask you to do some things and to give up some energy and to sacrifice some time for your neighbors oh and by the way we're going to add that on to project 1 and we're just going to continue to do that too no this year we're going to take a break from project 1 and and here's what i envision i envision you know 200 little Project Ones going on all over the county in all of our neighborhoods. You know, I, 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 I want to give you the time and the energy to be able to say, you know what, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that, but it's not like North Hills isn't outreaching into the community because I'm going to be outreaching to my neighbors. That might be in the, in the form of a physical work project. It, it, it might be just initially just taking the time to get to know them, and, and we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. It's, it, it's, it's the art of neighboring happening over the next couple of months. time or It's Project 1 times 4, I think. Because, you know, we can only do a few things really well in our lives. So it seemed to me that one of those things should be what Jesus said was absolutely essential. The greatest commandment. And that's loving our neighbors. The second challenge is this. The fear factor. The fear factor. I mentioned 50% of you are still trying to work up to have the courage to do that. Yeah, because fear is a part of that. Now, did you know that 450 people die in America every year falling out of bed? It's true. According to the CDC, 1.8 million emergency room visits and 400,000 hospital admissions every year in the United States, all falling out of bed. Did you know the risk of sleeping? Now, how many of you are afraid of falling out of bed? I don't see any hands. I, really? Come on, Joseph. Get that man some rails on his bed, okay? Um We're not afraid of falling out of bed because it's just kind of a small thing that we would be afraid of. Here's another one not quite as drastic. Thirteen people are killed every year when a vending machine falls over on them. I guess it could be termed death by snacking, maybe. I I don't know. But how many of us are afraid of getting a soda or something out of a vending machine? We're not. We're not. We could be. And, And maybe, you know, we should be careful with some vending machines. But... And you start shaking it. That's true. You're exactly right. If people would keep their vending machines in repair, then people wouldn't be killed by them every year. Here's the thing. Some of our fears, some of our fears we just need to get over it. You know, it's just a small thing. We just need to step out of our comfort zone and get past it. Um, now, some of our fears, like neighborhood crime, stalking, assaults on kids by people they know or don't know, are certainly understandable and and I think there are times for good reason when we may not want to approach a particular neighbor and and reach out to them I I I don't know I think those are the exceptions by far the exceptions but if you're an 85-year-old widow and you live you know, three doors down from a home that seems to have a lot of maybe late night drug activity, I'm not sure that you by yourself going over there and introducing you, yourself to that person is such a smart thing. Maybe take your pastor with you or, or someone else. Honestly, I don't think it necessarily gets you off the hook. I think there just may be a smarter way of doing it because who knows, maybe there's a young person in that home that if, if someone were to reach out to them, God would get a hold of their heart and would change their life. So there's this fear factor. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He is our God. He gives us the boldness. Let's take that step and let's ask and introduce ourselves to others. Here's a story I received this week from someone here at North Hills. Um, And it it actually fits with challenge number one and challenge number two, the time thing and the fear thing. This is what this person says and I'll try to go through it uh, quickly because there's, there's lots of details and I just didn't know which ones to cut out and which ones not to. My lawnmower was not running. For three weeks, I borrowed my neighbor's. After my lawnmower was fixed, I cut my grass and then I cut my neighbor's grass whom I borrowed the lawnmower from. Another neighbor from across the street saw me do this and came and asked me if he could hire me to mow his lawn. And this person said, um, I told them that uh, he wasn't going to pay me for being his neighbor and that, that he would just do it. He would just mow his lawn, okay? So he pushed his lawnmower over to his yard and he began to begin cutting the grass. And he's told by his neighbor that he wants it bagged and the clippings hauled off. His lawn was six inches high. An hour and a half later, I finally finished. He sat in the shade under his porch drinking lemonade and pointing out the areas I missed. After cutting his grass, he asked me if I would pull the weeds that had grown up cutting um, since last year. I looked around his yard and I thought of all the work that I wanted to do at my house. I considered at that moment that whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So he said, okay, I'll, I'll pull some weeds. So I began pulling weeds along one side of his yard. I came to an elm tree. He ended up having to pull that elm tree. He had to dig down two feet around the little sapling to even get the thing out. He did that. He finished pulling those weeds. Um, he continued pulling weeds, stopping to dig up trees and move on. And after completing one side of the yard, he thought to himself, you have done above and beyond what was asked of you. You have showed yourself to be a great neighbor. And his neighbor walked over and said that he sure did appreciate him helping him clean up his yard. He explained that since he had health troubles, it was nearly impossible to bend over to pull weeds without losing his balance or falling. I can, I, can feel, I can see the sigh, right? I decided that I should pull a little more, he says. I completed the backyard and placed all the weeds and trees into garbage cans and other containers. I put them on the, on the sidewalk and began to gather my tools, and my neighbor said that I still had the trees in the front to do along with the weeds on the side of the house. I mean, we all have neighbors like this, right? You're probably, maybe some of your neighbors, you're afraid, well, if I give them a little bit, they're just going to suck me in and I'm going to be there all day long, right? Well, let me, let me continue reading, because that's kind of what happened to this, this gentleman that sent me this. So he grabbed the last garbage can that he had, and he continued, most of the trees in the front were pulled without having to dig them. I removed the weeds on the side of the house, and by the time I was done, I was feeling quite exhausted. Exhausted. I slowly walked over to my truck. I drove to the grass dumpsters to unload the clippings that completely filled my truck bed. When I returned, he offered me a few dollars for my work. I had worked in his yard over five hours. I again told him that you do not pay someone for being your neighbor. He walked inside the house. I get, He gathered his tools and was getting ready to go home across the street. And the wife comes out and she tries to give him money. And he's like, no, I, 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 don't, I don't want money. Again. Um, God's Word, and this is is the words that he used. He said, God's Word instructs me to love my neighbors. Consider yourself loved. She was a bit bewildered, he said. She asked me why I would work so hard for someone and not accept payment. I explained that God had done so much for me. He, He expects all Christians to be His hands and feet to others. That way people can see Christ living in us. Still not understanding what I was talking about, I asked for permission to be able to share something with her. And she gave me permission. And he, he shared, uh, using a hand illustration, which I don't know of, ab- about how God sent his son Jesus and he shared the gospel with this woman. And, and at the end, you know, he says he will live inside them and, and have a relationship with them and while, while they live on earth. And my neighbor told me this, that she had never heard that explained before. She asked me to come back on Thursday and tell her whole family what I told her. Thursday, I walked across the street to their house. I was invited in their home where my neighbors, their son and his wife, a relative and a friend, were waiting for me. I gave the same illustration, plus, used the gospel cube to visually illustrate the good news. My neighbor and her daughter in law are interested in learning more. What an opportunity! All because he said yes to mowing somebody's lawn. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm like, you know, I've, I've had lots of conversations with neighbors and I've, I, I've had many of those conversations not end up with that person coming to church or coming to Christ. I've had some where it did. But we will never know which direction it will go until we have that conversation, Right? And one of the ways to have that conversation or the privilege of that conversation is to be a great neighbor. That is the beginning. That's what breaks the ice. We never know where one single, bold, loving, sensitive conversation or act of kindness might lead. Of course, they're seldom planned, usually inconvenient. And when we stumble into them, the first thing we can pray is, God, help me to be bold, loving, and sensible here. Challenge number three. The messy factor. The messy factor. Again, God is good and He is always serious about us loving our neighbors. And relationships with neighbors can be difficult, can't they? Sometimes they're extremely hard and messy. Uh, Take this verse for instance. Proverbs 27.14 says, If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Have you ever seen that verse before? You bang on your neighbor's door at four o'clock in the morning and say, hey Frank, I want to pray for you this morning. Not going to go over so well. You know, I think we can include in that verse things like lawnmowers, snowblowers, Harley Davidsons, dogs, right? Anybody have a neighbor with a yappy dog? You want to sleep with the windows open at night? the coolness of the air and all you can hear is bark, 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 bark. Barking dogs can sure put a strain on it. Who says they're man's best friend, right? They're your neighbor's worst enemy. We have a dog, a new one, that could become a, a barking dog. He wants to be a barking dog, so we put the old shock collar on him, right? It was like 16 bucks. He gets three chances and then it shocks him. So he only barks twice. And then he waits for like 15 minutes and knows he can do it again because it resets, right? There's all kinds of messy things in our neighborhoods. There's, there's teenagers driving too fast with loud vehicles and loud music. That happens on my street a lot. There's people driving on other people's lawns sometimes. There's blatant neighborhood covenant violations. There are sidewalks that don't get shoveled, toys that are strung all over. You know, if you live to the to the west of or to the east of someone, and they have lots of kids, the toys blow over into your yard. You know, and it seems like they don't care and they don't clean it up. Um, Overhanging trees, fences, barking dogs, and if if the barking's not enough, there's the pooping dogs, right? Well, to love our neighbors, I want to encourage us to make three moves. Last week, there was two moves. Meet your neighbor and then walk by their homes and pray for them by name, and even if you don't, even if you don't know their name, and to drive or drive by if you live out in the country, okay? Today, I want to give us three things. The first thing is this. Forgive all neighborhood misdemeanors. This is a metaphor, okay? Forgive all neighborhood misdemeanors. You know sometimes there's neighborhood felonies and I mean you just can't let it go it's big you got to talk about it you know the do- the neighbor's dog bites you or bites one of your kids you got to talk about that you got to have that conversation but there are so many other things misdemeanors that that it would be good of us just to let it go just let it go you know absorb the hurt into yourself and just let it go forgive it and move on now we have A neighbor or two, and I don't know who they are, um, but there's a couple dogs that once in a while roam our community. And they always seem to roam right to our house. Not all of our grass is inside of our fence. We have a stretch all the way around. We live on a corner lot with grass on the outside. And it is open season on the Anderson's lawn for any pooping dogs in the community. Now, I could get all uptight about that because it's not very fun when you're walking to your own car across your own lawn and you get in the car and you're like... Right? What is that? Well, you immediately know what that is. There is no smell like that smell. Right? I could set up a webcam. I could, I could, right? I could figure out whose dogs it is and I could call the, the Torrington dog catcher and have them come over and pick them up. But what we have chosen to do is essentially look the other way. You know, it, it, we clean it up when we have to and then we just forgive. And essentially, you know what, it's a reminder to us that that neighboring is messy. And and there's times we just need to let those neighborhood misdemeanors go o- away. Romans 12:18 is a great verse for this for us this morning. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Forgive all neighborhood misdemeanors. Number 2, Move from the backyard to the front yard. Move from the backyard to the front yard. This is simply another encouragement to engage in conversation with our neighbors. You know, don't hole up in the backyard. Maybe, maybe do something in the front yard and, and have a conversation with some people as they walk by or whatever. I know that's a little difficult for people that live out in the country. You'd be like, you know, for days and nobody drives by, right? Um, so it's going to be a little more difficult to, to, to do this for them. But um, one couple last week after church, made an effort to meet someone that they had never met before, and they wrote this. Well, after first service yesterday, God had a different type of neighboring for us. While I was waiting in the foyer for my husband, I saw a couple I did not know, so I greeted them and introduced myself. They heard our last name and got all excited. They know my husband's family in Fort Collins. So, um... We got started talking and I realized that we had several other things in common. We introduced each other when my husband came out of the sanctuary and we kept talking. We ended up going to lunch together and long story short, we visited with them for four hours. Talk about making some flex time and interruptible time in your schedule. Turns out they needed a car stored for the winter while they are doing ministry work this winter. We told them we would be glad to store it for them since we had plenty of room from the backyard to the front yard from bolting from church when it's, as soon as it's over to hanging around and maybe meeting a few new people. Let's get out from our backyard to the front yard. You know, I just think... I know both of the couples, actually, that, that had this conversation. I'm thinking, it is pretty amazing, isn't it, that somebody meets somebody the first time and then says, I'm willing to let you store my car, right, for the winter? Uh, you know god God is at work in these conversations and in these situations and 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 we just we just need to to boldly go and see what God has for us. The third thing this morning is this, and this is the biggest ask: organize a neighborhood block party now, I know that sounds probably a lot more logical in the middle of you know suburban Fort Collins or urban Denver, but you know what we many of us here we live in Cities, towns, we have blocks. Um, You know, those of you that are out in the country, you have blocks too. They're just called sections, right? Um, Last week, I encouraged everyone to simply meet the people around them. And, and it might take some extra neighborhood cooperation to make that happen. You know, when, when I talk about going up and eating some crow and saying to a neighbor, hey, you know, I, I'm not going to say this, but I'm thinking it. I know I've lived here for 17 years and I'm ashamed to say that I don't know your name. Um, but you know what? I want to be a better neighbor to you. And so I'm David Anderson. Um, it's nice to meet you. And I just want you to know that that, 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 that fact, I want to be a better neighbor. So if you need anything or whatever, you know, call me. You know, I... My wife, with fear and intrepidation, thinks about that conversation, and I'm like, "No way! You're not going with me. You got to go on your own." No, I didn't say that. Um, you know, we can go together, and maybe, maybe you're thinking this about this block party idea, and you're like, "Well, I'm an introvert." We're, you know, maybe both husband and wife are introverts. Well, find a neighbor who you could could th- who could join with you, and that's why it's this. There's no I and team title for the message. Find somebody else to do it with you. Even if they don't come to North Hills, maybe you have a great relationship with your neighbors. Hey, you know what? We've been doing this thing at church and, and, and we really want to love people more because God, God wants us to do that. And would you help me kind of put together a get-together so we could get, uh, get to know a few of our other neighbors around here in the neighborhood? I would guess that, that, that if push came to shove, most people would really like to know more people on their block and in their neighborhood. Uh, you know, maybe you have a couple... Maybe there's another couple from the church. Like, I live just... I didn't include him in my, my little square, but Roy Trowbridge lives just, you know, two houses across the street from me. And and he is a great neighbor. And and, and actually, I can tell you this. He told me yesterday that I was a great neighbor too. So, um, I can borrow tools out of his garage without asking. You know, he can borrow things from us. I, I, I've, I don't know if they've ever borrowed food from us, but I, you know... I borrowed a couple eggs a week ago, and I remember a cup of sugar a month ago, and you know that's what, that's what being a great neighbor is all about. You know, you have a need, and you know that you can go to somebody in your community, and and they they can meet that need, and and maybe if you know Roy and I, we'll just block off, you know, the corner of Lingle right there, and tell people to turn around. We're having a party here, right? I'm not talking about bounce houses and you know loud music and all of that. You can make it as simple or as difficult as you can, but, but uh, we want you to, uh, in order for, to go from strangers to acquaintances, there's just meeting them and then moving from acquaintances to somewhat of a relationship. It's just a little more of a program. And, and we've got two pieces out there uh, for you to pick up this morning. One is uh, it's, it's how to op- organize a block party. It, it's, it says neighborhood block parties made easy, and it's got lots of, lots of um, ideas. Um, those could give you ideas uh, and, and I think there's enough Saturdays and Sundays of good weather, hopefully you know um, last this fall in order for us to to do that maybe it 's a final barbecue you know're before you cover the barbecue grill for the winter uh, you know it 's hey let's let 's have some neighbors over and you invite them and 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 elicit your other neighbors to help invite other neighbors as well um, there's one other thing in the in the foyer there on that rack uh, that has a big sign that says The Art of Neighboring over the top of it that I forgot to mention last week. There's a small group leaders discussion guide that goes along with this sermon series. So if you've been meeting in a small group or you're just kicking off, grab one of those small group leaders if most of your small group members are, uh, are members of the church. Well, even if they're not, um, we can all learn more about what it means to be a great neighbor. I want to close with this. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. First verse 26, it says this, "...from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live." Now, no matter the reasons for you living where you are living right now, I believe God has planted you right where you are for a purpose. And, and that He is going to use you in that, in that house, in that townhouse, in that apartment, in that dorm room, at school. And, and there are neighbors living around you that, that He wants you to influence. He, he wants you to love them and to care about them and to care for them. And if you ask the question, well, why me and, and why them and why now? Verse 27 gives us the explanation. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each of us. It's just like the gentleman who mowed his neighbor's lawn. What happened? God is reaching out to him and is using the neighbor to do that. Oh, if we could have that privilege as well ourselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank you for these challenges this morning and, and Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to, to make these these challenges a part of our everyday lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the words to say and help us to have some of those divine appointments like the one couple after church and that there would be deeper relationship and Lord Jesus, above all, there would be the opportunity to love you with everything and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And then maybe we would see dozens of people engaged in learning the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being saved. Oh Lord, may that be true. Help us to find those those places too, Lord, where our neighbors have a maybe a physical need or something and gather together with maybe some of our other neighbors to To meet those needs, use us, Lord. May we learn the art of neighboring in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we close the service, the ushers are going to pass this morning's offering plate, and please remember to drop those connect cards in the offering plate as it goes by. And would you stand your feet? And let's close with this final song. For some.